0: Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and Mark will lead us. you reading that chapter 6, 21 to 24. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, 21 through 24. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Uh, Tych- Tychitis, the beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know who we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love the Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. Well, good morning. Thank you, uh, Mark and worship team, for leading us this morning. Uh, let's pray and uh, ask the Lord to help us as we finish up with Ephesians this morning. Lord, thank you for, uh, for bringing us here. Thank you in this, uh, this week when our minds are especially uh, attentive to thankfulness. Uh, we will give thanks for the Word. Thank you for this book, for Ephesians, and how you've taught us from it. Uh, thank you for the whole Bible and how you... Uh, it is, it is breathed by God. It is God-breathed and uh, gives us everything we need, equips us for, for lives of service and, and salvation and everything else. So we praise you, Lord. We thank you so much. We would pray that you would help us understand now as we uh, look at uh, this last part of Ephesians and another passage to help us understand it. Would you apply all these things to our hearts, help us to examine ourselves and uh, to walk with Jesus all the way to the end. It's in his name we pray, amen. Well, when you think about it, it's kind of striking how many stories involve a journey. Stories involve a journey, whether it's movies, novels, even the history books. There's so often some sort of journey where the, the hero or heroes need to get from point A uh, to point B. And, and the best stories, the best stories are the ones where the heroes finish the journey, those are the ones we, we remember. Those are the ones we love the most. Uh, think about it. If, if Columbus had sailed halfway across the Atlantic and turned back, we wouldn't even know the man's name, right? He would be no one to us. Or, or if Lewis and Clark had gotten as far as the Rockies and said, nope, and turned and went back to St. Louis, uh, your kids wouldn't learn about him in, in the history books. Or, or if Frodo and Sam had gotten as far as the black gates of Mordor and said, nope, not gonna do it. Too big, too scary, turned around, went back to the Shire. No one would care about the Lord of the Rings books. You, you wouldn't, that would be a terrible story if they'd turned around uh, just when things got tough and, and went home again. Uh, no, we, we like the stories where the heroes succeed. We, we want them to make it all the way uh, to the end. We're gonna finish Ephesians this morning. And we're going to do that by looking at what it takes to finish this journey, this worthy walk that we've been studying this fall. Uh, for the last couple of months, uh, those of you, I see we have some college students who are at home, and they're like, what's he talking about? But, uh, but, but if you've been here since beginning of September, you know that we've been looking at the second half of Ephesians since then, and we've been talking about how we, it's important for us to walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling. That's the theme uh, of the second half of Ephesians. And that language comes straight from Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. That's where Paul says, I urge you, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And and when he says our calling, when he uses that language, he's referring to the first half of the book. Uh, And so uh, that's our calling. What what calling is he talking about in chapter 4 verse 1? He's talking about the calling of chapters 1, 2, and 3. And so God has saved us by faith through grace, uh, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, That chapter two, all this wonderful stuff God has done for us in Christ. He's made us a new race of human beings all these wonderful things. That's our calling. And then the second half of the book, chapters four through six, tells us how to live in response to that. And so our response is to walk or to live, to walk in a manner that's worthy of everything God has done for us. And, and so basically our lives need to match our calling is really the, the theme of, of the book and the second half of the book especially. And so this morning, I want to finish this series by driving home one last point. I have one last thing to say about it, and I want to press home this idea that God wants us to keep walking with Jesus all the way to the end. He wants us to to press through all the way to the end with Jesus. And that's really the last thing we are going to say about this worthy walk that we've been looking at. Uh, Ephesians ends, you heard uh, Mark read it for us just a moment ago, Uh, Ephesians ends with some personal remarks. It's really almost like a a postscript to the letter. The the formal conclusion was last week's passage. This is just some personal remarks. And he says two things in these personal remarks. He he, uh, tells the Ephesians who's delivering the letter. It's a guy named Tychicus. Uh, And then he closes in prayer. It's just a, a short little prayer there in the last two verses. And I know there's only two verses there, and it's just some personal remarks, but I actually think Paul's doing something important here. He's modeling for us two things that we need to make it all the way to the end, two things we need if we're going to keep walking. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning, kind of the main takeaway is going to be to to talk about these two things that we need to finish the journey with the Lord. Uh, Before we get to those, though, I want to take a little bit of a detour I want to take a little bit of a detour this morning, and I want to ask you a question. Have you ever watched one of those um, reunion shows on, on television? Do, do you know the ones? I mean, you know, they'll, they'll take some television show that was really popular, you know, I don't know. I, I think Friends did this recently, right? So Friends was this show in the 1990s, and, and they'll bring the original cast back, and they'll, they'll see how everybody's doing, right? So it's kind of a reunion is the idea. They've done this with different shows through the decades. And sometimes the, the, the actors will be in character, and that's kind of fun, because you can kind of see, you know, what happened to Beaver when he grew up, you know, leave it to Beaver. I remember when I was a little kid, there was a leave it to Beaver reunion show my mother was really into, you know? And, and, and so you get to see what happened with the characters, how they developed. Other times it's just the actors, and they'll just have the actors kind of joke around and talk about how the show went and so on. And, and the whole point is to kind of see how They're doing. You check back 20, 30 years later, how's everybody doing now that some time has passed? Well, we get something like that in the New Testament. We get it with the church in Ephesus. And it's the only letter, Ephesians is the only letter where this happens, where we get to see how the people Paul or Peter, whoever wrote to, we get to see how they're doing a few decades later. And so we we get this Ephesians reunion show. And you say, where is that? What are you talking about? Where do we get an Ephesians reunion show? Well, it's in the book of Revelation. And and I'm actually going to invite you to to turn to Revelation. We're going to spend a few minutes, put a bulletin or something in uh, in Ephesians 6. We will come back to it. But I want to spend a few minutes in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Uh, Paul wrote Ephesians, the letter we've been looking at. He wrote this letter in 60 A.D., six zero. so about 30 years after Jesus uh, was crucified and ascended back into heaven, 60 A.D., we got a pretty firm on that date, actually. It might have been 61, but let's just call it 60 A.D. 35 years later... So 95 A.D., uh, Jesus appears to the last apostle. He appears to the apostle John. All the others have died and gone to heaven, but John is still alive. He's a very old man, and Jesus appears to John, and he shows him a series series of visions. And that's what the book of Revelation is. It's it's John writes down the visions that Jesus gives to him. So it's a series of visions. And most of you have had some kind of exposure to the book of Revelation. You know that uh, most of those visions are about the future. There's a lot of emphasis in Revelation on the future. But some of the visions are about the present and what's happening in the present, uh, the present time, late first century when, when John is writing this all down. And that's actually what you have in chapter 1. So if you look at Revelation chapter 1, you have this vision of Jesus that Jesus appears to John. And there's lots of symbolism in this book. You know that probably about Ephesians. Lots of symbolism. And so you see this description of Jesus in chapter 1. Uh, it, there's, it's not meant to be taken literally. Jesus doesn't literally have a sword out of his mouth. It's a symbol of some of these different realities about Jesus. And so you have this symbolic representation of who Jesus is there in chapter 1. And then before it gets to a lot of the future stuff, uh, chapters 2 and 3 record a series of letters. It's a series of letters. There's actually seven letters. They're all short, so I'll call them mini letters. There are seven mini letters to seven different churches that actually existed. There there may be some symbolism there, but they're real churches. They actually existed in John's day, and the first one on the list is our friends, the Ephesians. It's the first one. It's right there in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. So I want to spend a few minutes uh, with, uh, with chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and I want to look at what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, which we've been studying all last fall and now all this fall. I want to see how they were doing. I don't want to check in. We're going to have a reunion show with the Ephesians, and we're going to see how things were going a generation later, 35 years later. And as it turns out, it's a mixed bag. Uh, there, there's some good news in terms of how they're doing with their worthy walk, but then there's some bad news too in terms of how they're doing with their worthy walk. So so let's let's look at this, and I, and I just want to show you what they got right and what they got wrong. Let's, let's pick up in... Uh, so we're in Revelation 2. We'll go back to Ephesians in a minute, or a few minutes. Revelation 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, Jesus is talking, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand... Who walks among the seven golden lampstands? So we'll stop there. Uh, like I just said, Jesus is speaking. He's the one with the highly symbolic and the stars in his hands and the lampstands and, and these different things. So Jesus is speaking, and he tells John, he says, "Write a write a letter. Uh, you're going to write seven of them, actually. But first, write a little letter to the the angel." He says. Uh, of the church at Ephesus, and we're not going to get into whether this is a real angel, which is actually what I would be inclined to say, or if it's a symbol, or if it's the the leader, the pastor of that church. Uh, The the point is that he's writing to their representative, and so he's not just writing to an angel. These are the words that Jesus wants to communicate to the whole church. So it's to the Christians. It's the Christians in Ephesus. That's what uh, verse 1 sets us up for. Jesus is checking in with the believers in Ephesus. So verses two and three, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. So Jesus starts with the good stuff. He's going to do that sandwich thing where he says something good, something hard, something good. Uh, He starts with the good stuff. Here's what they got right. And and there's a lot of it. They were actually getting a lot right. They really were. Uh, First of all, they were walking in good works. Uh, Just like Ephesians says to do. We we talked about this uh, when we looked at uh, Ephesians chapter 2. It's kind of one of the better-known verses in Ephesians. Ephesians 2.10, We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Why? That we should walk in them. There you go. There's part of our worthy walk. We're supposed to walk in good works. And that's exactly what the Ephesians were doing. They were still, 35 years later, walking in those good works. Jesus says, "I, I know your works in Revelation. Uh, And it's the same word. It's actually the same word. It's kind of a common word, but it's the same word as as Ephesians 2.10. And so they were doing it. and, And he actually describes it. What were they doing? Well, they were toiling for Jesus. They were enduring hardships patiently. They were bearing up for his name's sake. They, they weren't uh, turning on Jesus like some, many believers did. Right in 95 AD, there was a, uh, one of the worst persecutions under a, an emperor named Domitian. Uh, and, and, but the Ephesians weren't, you know, and some were, were hiding from their faith or were, were denying their faith, but not the Ephesians. They were, they were standing firm uh, in, in Christ's name. So they got that part right. They were still walking in good works 35 years later. Uh, they were also walking in light. They were walking in light. Uh, just a, this, this, uh, this fall, a couple of weeks ago, actually, we looked at Ephesians 5, verse 8. And again, we were told to walk in something. There we were told to walk in light. Ephesians 5, 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk in as children of light. That's part of the worthy walk, walk as children of light. And they were doing that. They were walking as children of light. You see that in, uh, right here in Revelation, the second half of verse 2. What does he say? You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, uh, and you have found them to be false you found them to be false. And so they're walking in the light. When, when false teachers, and so light represents purity, we emphasize that, but it also represents truth. And so when false teachers tried to infiltrate the church in Ephesus, they weren't falling for it. Right? They, they, they tested those false teachers, and they rejected them. They didn't buy the books. They didn't listen to the podcasts. They, they didn't want anything to do with the false teachers. And so three decades later, the Ephesians were doing that too. They were still walking in light. They were also walking in wisdom. They had that part down. Uh, Ephesians 5.15, that verse says, look carefully how you walk. There was another occurrence of that, that picture, walking. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Walk in wisdom is the idea. And we talked about how that's a big part of this worthy walk that he talks about in chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, to walk worthy of our calling, another part of it means walking in wisdom. And we had to tease that out a little bit. We, we talked about how uh, in the Bible, wise living really means moral living. You really can think of it in, the, in that term. It's, it's a moral, ethical idea. Uh, in the Bible, wisdom is not primarily head knowledge wisdom isn't what you know scripturally wisdom is is life knowledge right and so wise people know the right way to live right they could have six phds and 190 iq but but do they know the right way to live and the right way being defined by scripture do they live god's way And when we looked at Ephesians, it actually took us three weeks to develop this, but when we looked at that Ephesians 5 uh, section, so so you got Ephesians 5.15 says, walk in wisdom. And then for the next, really, chapter, for the rest of chapter 5 and well into chapter 6, Paul basically shows us what it looks like. He shows us what it looks like to walk in wisdom. And there were two things. I don't know if you remember this, but there were two things we talked about. Um, We talked about worship, and we talked about relationships. That's what you see there in that section. And so walking in wisdom means worshiping the right God the right way. That was chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. And then worshiping, uh, walking in wisdom means conducting our relationships the right way. And you have that extensive section starting with marriage. And actually, Paul emphasizes marriage and family. And so you have this emphasis on, on marriage and family in terms of right living. Walking in wisdom means getting those two areas, doing them the way God tells, them to, tells us to do them. 35 years later, that's what the Ephesians were doing. They were still doing this. They were still walking as wise people. Now, here, let me show you where I get that. I, I get it from Revelation 2.6. It's it's a, skip ahead to verse 6. We'll get to the hard part in verses 4 and 5 in a minute, but verse 6 he says, "Yet this you have. Here's another thing you're getting right. You hate the work the works of the Nicolaitans." That's what he says to the Ephesians. "You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate." Jesus says. Now, the Nicolaitans are a bit of a mystery. If we were doing a series in Revelation, we'll get there someday. But if we were doing a series in Revelation, I'd spend a, some time on these guys. Uh, but I'll just tell you that, that they're a bit of a mystery. They're actually only mentioned twice in the Bible. Both times are here in uh, Revelation chapter 2. And, and that's not quite enough to figure out what their teaching was. You can't really figure out doctrine from just two verses. But we can see what, what the impact they had was. We know that the, uh, what the effect of the Nicolaitans was on the people that, that bought into their teaching. And where you actually see it is a little later in chapter 2, so Revelation 2, uh, it's in the third of these mini-letters. It's the one to the church in Pergamum. So you got the church in Ephesus, church in Smyrna, and then you get this, and church uh, starts with verse 12. It's to the church in Pergamum. I want to read verses 14 and 15. And I'll tell you that ver- I take verses 14 and 15. It's not two different Um, false teaching groups, it's one group, it's the Nicolaitans, which he says in verse 15. So he says, but I have a few things against you. This is talking to the church in Pergamum. Uh, You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak, Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. And so you also have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Whatever doctrine the Nicolaitans were teaching, it led to two things in practice, and they're both identified right there in verse 14. It was leading to idolatry, and it was leading to sexual immorality. And so the Nicolaitans were doing worship the wrong way, and they were doing marriage and family the wrong way. And the Ephesians hated it, right? They, they were not buying into it. You think back to Ephesians 5, where there was this emphasis on worship, emphasis on relationships, marriage and family. We look at this group comes along that seemed to be infiltrating the early church in different places. And the Ephesians, they didn't just kind of see through it and say, no, thanks. They hated it, right? And so they were passionate about walking in wisdom. They were rejecting the works of the Nicolaitans. So they were getting a lot right. Good job, Ephesians. They're walking in good works, they're walking in the light, they're walking in wisdom. But then we come to the part they got wrong. Uh, It's so much going right, but they were missing something. One crucial part that they were missing, and it's right there in verse 4. Verse 4 says, But this I have, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. They were missing love. They were missing love. Uh, chapter five of Ephesians, verse one, tells us that's one more. Here's another thing we're supposed to walk in. Uh, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. Walk in love. Something happened in those thirty-five years. We don't know what it was. Something happened though. They were still walking in good deeds, still walking in light, still walking in wisdom, but they were not walking. In love, even though they'd been told to do so. Uh, what love are we talking about? Well, the love that uh, I think Jesus is talking about here in Revelation two four is its love for God. I think that's the right way to read that. It's it's not. Primarily love for people. Although I will say, love for people is going to get wrapped into that because when we love God, we love people. Uh, we love God by loving people. That's the great commandment. But, but the, the, what he's really talking about here is their love for God. They had lost their love for the Lord. And so their doctrine was orthodox, but it was a cold orthodoxy. Their behavior was moral, but it was a joyless moralism. Their, their worship was biblical. Right? They were doing what chapter 5, verses 18 through 20 says. They had their psalms and their hymns going and all the rest of it. Their worship was biblical, but their hearts weren't in it. Their worship was cold and sterile. I, it probably shows my age, but it makes me think of an old Keith Green song. He had this, this lament he would sing in some of his concerts. My eyes are dry. My, my faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. That's the church at Ephesus. That's the church at Ephesus 35 years later. They had a whole lot of things right, but they'd lost their love for the Lord. And because of that, they were in danger. They were in danger. The church was in danger. I don't want you to read this as kind of individuals kind of you know, go through a dark period and they lose their salvation. That's not what this is talking about. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the church. Let me, uh, let me read you the danger. It's in uh, verse 5. Of, uh, we're still in Revelation 2. He says, remember therefore from where you've fallen, remember how much you used to love the Lord. Repent and do the the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. If you don't do it, I'm going to close the church, Jesus says. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand unless you repent. And so he says to this church that was not walking in love anymore, he says, you need to repent. You need to take a look on the inside, you need to change where you're going wrong, and you need to start, get back on the road and keep walking in love. That's what they needed to do. And so I just want to think about that for a minute. Before we go back to Ephesians 6, and that is where we're going now, uh, I just want to stop and, and let the church of Ephesus, 35 years later, help us examine ourselves. You know, just to do a little, little gut check here. Because, because if we learn anything from comparing the glorious epistle of Ephesians to if, Revelation chapter 2, if we learn anything from putting them side by side like this, it's that it's easy to lose our way. It's easy to lose our way. It's easy to stop walking with the Lord and, and, and just kind of drift away from that worthy walk that we're called to. And so how are we doing? How are we doing? Are we we walking in good deeds? Are we walking in the light of purity and truth? Are we walking in the wisdom of a moral Christ-honoring, not morality for morality's sake, but a moral Christ-honoring life? And most of all, from their example, are are we walking in love? Are we walking in love with the Lord? So there's that gut check from Revelation 2. Let's go back now to Ephesians 6. Go ahead and turn back to that, please. Because in those closing words, in those last four verses, I think Paul shows us two resources. We've got two resources that help us, right? We see the warning, we see what could happen, and so we say, how are we going to stay on the road? How are we going to keep walking all the way to the end? Well, in his closing Postscript: paul shows us two resources we have to keep on the road and keep at it with jesus and wouldn't you know it they're both core values of our church they're both uh they're two of our five core values and let me just show you what they are and then we'll be done with ephesians so two resources back in ephesians what we need to keep walking resource number one is faithful companions Faithful companions. And a lot of what I want to say with the rest of my time kind of pulls together so many of these themes we've looked at. Not all of them, but many of them. We need faithful companions. Don't walk the trail alone. Right? If you want to stick with it and keep pressing through all the way to the end, don't walk alone. Instead, walk the trail with other believers who are as determined as you are to keep walking. Paul had a bunch of people like that in his life. The Apostle Paul, you can see them in the New Testament. They're listed in different places. He had several people uh, who were faithful companions to him, including a man named Tychicus. Uh, Back to Ephesians 6. So, uh, this is verse 21, uh, "...so that you also may know how how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose." that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Now, most scholars assume that Tychicus is delivering the letter. He's the one carrying it to, uh, to Rome, or from, from Rome, where Paul is, to the city of Ephesus. Uh, in fact, he's also mentioned in almost the exact same wording uh, at the end of Colossians. It's Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And so there's, that's really good reason to think that uh, Tychicus is actually delivering two letters at that point. He's delivering the letter to Colossae, and he's delivering the letter to Ephesus. And those of you who know, uh, know this, he's actually delivering a third letter, which is the letter to Philemon, who is a leader in Colossae. So, so Tychicus is delivering these letters. And so that tells us something, right? That, that, that little detail tells us something. It tells us Paul trusted this man. Paul trusted him. Uh, Paul put a lot of thought into these letters, right? He's writing these things. He's under house arrest. Uh, Paul, you can see in the New Testament that Paul is aware that he's writing scripture, right? So this isn't a, uh, you know, a shopping list. This is, this is God's word that he's writing, and he hands it to his man Tychicus. All right, and so that tells you, and, and you say, why does he have to have somebody deliver it? They didn't have, uh, Rome didn't have a postal service the way we think of it. If you wanted to deliver a letter, you gave it to somebody, and they delivered it for you. And Tychicus is the man. And so Paul clearly trusts this man. He trusts him with Scripture, he trusts him uh, even with the news about himself. Do you see where he says that? Tychicus is going to be a good one to tell you how it's going here in Rome and how things are and what's happening and all the rest. And so he's a trustworthy person. But more than that, he's clearly a friend. It, it's, it's, it's just look at how Paul describes him. He's not just a messenger. He's a buddy. He's a bro, right? He's a friend. He calls him my beloved brother. My beloved brother Tychicus. And then he calls him my uh, faithful minister. And so he's not just an acquaintance or kind of a trustworthy guy. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a fellow laborer in the gospel. So much so that Paul actually personally commends Tychicus. Do you see where he does that? Uh, He says at the end of verse 22, he says, he's going to encourage your hearts. You're going to like this guy. I vouch for him personally. Tychicus is going to come to you, and he's going to encourage your hearts uh, with, with his presence, with his words, with what he says. And so that's Tychicus, uh, those actually aren't the only places, uh, Just to, I, I think these minor characters are worthy of some attention sometimes, some attention. Um, he appears in a couple other places, uh, he's actually in Acts, he's in the book of Acts chapter 20, he just shows up on a list, Luke makes a list of some of the men who were traveling with uh, Paul around the Mediterranean, and Tychicus is on the list. Uh, he's also mentioned in Titus chapter 3, and he's mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And those two letters, Titus and especially 2 Timothy, those are among the last letters he wrote. 2 Timothy was the last letter he wrote. And he mentions, he gives Tychicus a shout out in the last chapter of the last letter that he writes. All of which makes us think Tychicus was a close friend in the last part of Paul's life. We don't know when their friendship started, but we do know when it ended. It ended when Paul died. I mean, he, he's there with Paul. He's, they are friends right there at the end. Now, take that little snapshot of a friendship and put it in the context of Ephesians. We've talked a lot along the way in this letter, both in the first half last fall and in this half this fall. We've talked a lot about the, the prominence of, of relationships in this book. Living in community, we've said, is a big part of this worthy walk, right? It's, it's how the worthy walk is expressed, and it's also the strength for the, for the, for the worthy walk. And, and what do we have Paul doing here at the end? He says, like, I do it too. All right? He shows us uh, what he's told. He practices what he preaches. He shows us in his own life. Uh, one of the reasons Paul knows is, is walking, one of the ways Paul is walking in a manner worthy of his own calling, is that he's got people like Tychicus in his life. And, and so he, he shows us that. And I'll just say, you and I need the same thing. We really do. I mean, if Paul. The apostle, the guy who was converted on the Damascus Road, if, if he needs people like that in his life, then we do too. We need faithful companions who will walk with us as we walk with Jesus. And so I'll ask the obvious question. Do you have people like that? Do you have some folks like that in your life? It doesn't have to be 30 of them. Sometimes one or two is enough. Uh, but do you have some folks like that? Faithful companions who are walking with you as you're walking with Jesus. Oh, you can find them in a small group. You know, are you involved in, in one of our small groups? That's a, a great way to make some, some, some faithful companions like that. Uh, do you have some friends like that? Friends who share your faith. Yeah, we've got non-believing friends, and that's great. We, we, that's where our witness is and so on. But, but, but do you have some friends in your life who, who are pulling you closer to Jesus rather than, than further away? And I know those kinds of relationships are hard to find sometimes. Uh, they are, uh, but they're worth it. And so I think that's one of the lessons that comes away from this. Find your Tychicus. Find some people in your life who are going to walk with you as you walk with Jesus. That's one of the tools we have to keep walking with him all the way to the end. All right, the other one, the other resource we see here at the end of the book to keep walking with Jesus is spiritual prayers. And so we need faithful companions, and we need spiritual prayers. And and when I say spiritual prayers, I do not mean to suggest that we stop praying for physical things. The Bible's so clear. It's all over the place that God wants us. He invites us to bring our material needs, physical needs, financial needs, health needs. He wants us to bring those things to him. He cares about the number of of hairs on our heads, and 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 will take care of those things. So, So God wants us to pray about the material needs, But he also wants us to pray for our our own and for other people's spiritual needs. And we see this, again, modeled for us in the last two verses of the book. Paul says, Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. I know it's been more than a year, but those last two verses should remind you of the first two verses. The last two verses of Ephesians actually echo the first two verses of Ephesians. Uh, Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the letter started with grace and peace, and now the letter ends with peace and grace. Nice little uh, a nice little bookend that he's got going there. And so it's, it's kind of, it, it's how the letter opens, it's how the letter ends. But the other thing I, I think it's important to notice here is that it is a prayer. It's an opening, kind of a blessing at the beginning, but as it's a close, it's, it's, a, it's a prayer. In fact, there's a, scholars call it a prayer wish. A prayer wish. And the idea is that what he's doing is he's in the form of a prayer, he's expressing his desire For them, right? So he gets to the end of this letter and he wraps it all up by saying, Here's what I really want for you. Here's what I'm praying for you. And you'll remember he's given us several sample prayers in this book. We've actually had sample prayers, especially in chapters one through three. He does it one more time at the end. Uh, He asked them to pray for him. Now he prays for them, verses 23 24. And there are three things he prays for. Let me just show you what they are three specific prayer requests here in this, uh, this prayer that's expressing his desire for the Ephesians. Uh, it's for peace, right? And so he, 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 he says, peace be to the brothers. This is one of the things he's praying for them. Uh, peace is one of the themes that runs through the letter. So it's no surprise to us, to not only because it opened the letter, but because it's a theme that runs all through it. We learned that God made Peace. Paul actually used that language. God made peace between himself and humankind. He made peace between God and man through his son, Jesus Christ, right? So there's that peace, there's peace with God, and then peace with God opens the way for horizontal peace. Peace with each other. We can have peace with each other inside the church and even outside of the church, but especially inside the church because of Jesus. And so that's what he's, he's closing with here at the end. He's praying for peace. He prays, uh, and, and I think it's right to, to bring in the stuff we talked about earlier in the letter. And so what's he, what's he saying when he says peace to the brothers? He's saying, may you, may you walk in and, and enjoy and experience the fullness of your relationship with God and the fullness of that relationship with each other because of what God has done for us. And so peace, pray for peace, he says. Uh, And and he models it, and he he shows us by his example. His second prayer is for love. This is the one that wasn't at the beginning of the letter. Uh, He says, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's specifically love that's come through faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus. You see, this is not Paul's first time around the block. Uh, he's been around long enough, walking with Jesus long enough to know that, that love does not just happen. Not this kind of love. Not the kind of love he's talking about here. This kind of love, the kind of love we need in the church, is love that comes from God, which is why he describes it as such, right? It's love from God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so how do you get love from God? <laughs> well, you, you pray for it. You ask him to give birth to that uh, in our lives. We, we ask him to fill us with it, because only God can fill us with God's love, which is the kind of love he's talking about. And then the third prayer is for grace. It's, it's, it's a prayer for grace. That's how the letter ends. Uh, God's grace will be with them. And, and again, I think back to the beginning of the letter. Uh, this means experiencing God's grace. We are recipients of grace. It also means sharing God's grace, right? So we are recipients of grace. We are sharers uh, or bearers of God's grace to other people. And so it's a prayer for grace, to walk in grace and to share grace. And then the last thing I want to show, and then I'll I'll close in prayer, uh, is, is that this prayer, this last prayer, the prayer for grace, he ties it back to love. And so I, I really, you know, there's, uh, I think God is foreshadowing here the, the centrality of love for this church. Uh, he, he sees in the future that that's the one that they're going to struggle on. And so he comes back to love. And so it's grace for all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. And not just love him a little bit, but love him with love incorruptible, uh, the ESV says. Other translations say undying love. Uh, and that's really the idea that this word incorruptible means uh, something that lasts forever. And so I think what he's describing there, again, is it's the same love as verse 23. It's God's love, right? He's not kind of just, you know, it's, it's not just, God, help me love you more. It's God, help me receive your love, experience your love, and then reflect that back to you again. That, I think, is, is the sense uh, of that prayer. And so th- as the letter ends, we're left with this thought, this is what holds us. This is what keeps us on the road. This is what keeps us walking with Jesus all the way to the end. It's God's love. It's God's love. We love Him because He first loved us. And so the end of the letter invites us to pray that way. Right? It invites us uh, to keep walking. Keep walking in peace and in grace and in love. That's actually a pretty good summary of what it looks like to walk in a worthy manner. Walk in peace, walk in grace walk in love. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for uh, this calling that you have laid upon us by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Uh, we think of all that you've done for us. Uh, it's outlined here in Ephesians, that's described in the scriptures. Uh, you're so merciful, so loving, so kind, so gracious to us, and we thank you for it. Uh, I would pray, Lord, for uh, Each of us here and everyone who's listening online catches it now or later. Uh, May our lives be characterized by what we've talked about today. May we walk in good deeds and in light and in wisdom and in love. Uh, May we walk in peace and grace and, and again in your love, Lord. Not just our kind of ginned up affection from within ourselves, but your love poured out upon us and then flowing over again to you and to those around us. Do that in us, Lord, for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.